Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome into this Monday edition. Two weeks from right now, as we record this anyway, by the time you listen to this, game's probably already going on. Two weeks from today, Old Miss in Louisville. Hopefully all of you in Atlanta getting ready for that one. Where would you suggest? So, so I'm Michael Borky. He's Stephen Gagliano. Stephen's from Atlanta, although I don't think you lived like next to the stadium. No, not too far, though. Where would you suggest the people go? Because I know a lot of people listening to this will be in Atlanta for the game. So pregame on Monday, near, or it didn't have to be near. I mean, I, I don't mind the pregaming somewhere else and hopping in an Uber or whatever to the stadium if it's a can't-miss place. So I'm putting you on the spot because we didn't talk about this. <laughs> That's true. Rex, for the Old Miss fan listening to this, with two weeks out so they can plan a little bit, we'll start with bars, place to pregame, where you should go before the game, and then we'll extend it out to places to eat if you're staying there all weekend. Okay, see, that's where my mind immediately goes. So, let's see, bars in the area. My brother would be perfect at this because he goes out every single night. Do you want to save that for, talk to him about it? Yeah, let's let's do that. The one I can recommend right now as a restaurant to go is Hal's, a steakhouse in the Atlanta area. It's in Buckhead. It's awesome. Every time that there's one of these kind of games in town, you always see people there wearing different polos with team logos on them, that kind of thing. So always- Howl's is the place. Howl's yeah. and Buckhead for a steak. Very solid. Okay. There was a bar I went to before the Peach Bowl that was like adjacent to inside of State Farm Arena. Okay, so, yeah, like all of the, the CNN Center in that kind of spot. So I don't really remember. We just kind of walked up on it and we're like, oh, shit, let's grab a beer. <laughs> and it was... You don't like remember because in... you had already been somewhere else or... No, so that was a, that was like a, an 11 a.m. like okay. local time kickoff or something. I, I don't remember when that game started. I know it was early in the morning. I know when it ended. That's oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, it ended. Um <laughs> I don't remember what that was called. Do you Do you happen to know? It was pretty cool. I mean, it wasn't a bad little spot right next to the stadium there. Yeah, I that just was know the that, old Georgia Dome, obviously. Right. I just know that there is that big, like, food court slash bar scene, indoor mall type of atmosphere in, I still call it the Phillips Arena, whatever they call it now, State, State Farm. State Farm, right? Yeah. Isn't that what it is? Um, that is not open still for whatever reason. I don't know if it's a staffing issue or what, but they can't get that thing open. So I will. I'll come back with a full report. All right, we'll Let's do, do that Friday. Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday or Friday, or Friday. whichever. Right. And so, if you're going to the game, Stevens from Atlanta. His brother lives in Atlanta. They'll get you where you need to know. Because I've been asked, you know, hey, you're from the area. Like, what do you mean I'm from the area? Like, I grew up three hours from Atlanta. I don't know anything about Atlanta other than. You know, people talk a lot of crap about Atlanta around here. Oh, it's terrible. All the traffic. If you can't have a good time in Atlanta, that is a you problem. I didn't know. It's not an Atlanta problem. I didn't know people had uh, had qualms with Atlanta. There are. There are people here that, oh, I wouldn't go to Atlanta. And, like, they'll bring up the mayor and stuff. Like, who cares? I mean, if you can't go to Atlanta and have a good time, that's a you problem. Not an Atlanta problem. Yeah, I've I've been to Atlanta and I've been to other capital cities and I'll leave it at that. And yeah. I would just say I'd much rather be in Atlanta. <laughs> Great brewery scene there as well uh, around Atlanta, of course. So we'll get we'll get better. I put Stephen on the spot. 
that was not something we were planning on talking about today. So uh, we'll get you a better uh, a roster of places to go in the city later this week. Speaking of rosters, Ole Miss added, uh, not exactly out of nowhere. I think I either mentioned it on here or on the radio show that Ole Miss was looking at adding a, an offensive lineman from South Carolina. That came true today. Uh, Jordan Rhodes is his name. He's from South Carolina. He appeared in 20 games as a Gamecock. Not not a starter, though. It is not, Ole Miss is not adding a guy with 20 starts. It's 20 appearances. Again, not 20 starts to the offensive line. He's listed at 6'4", 235. Uh, was a three-star coming out of uh, Creeksdale High School in Fairburn, Georgia, for whatever that's worth, and apparently is eligible right away for Ole Miss. Also, after the Jalen Cunningham news, switching over to the defensive line, it sounds like Ladarius Cox for Ole Miss is going to be playing offensive line moving forward. And by the way, Sam Williams changed his jersey number uh, to number seven. So <laughs> if you're wondering who the hell number seven is, did Ladarius Cox lose 100 pounds? No, that is, uh, that's Sam Williams now wearing uh, number seven. So a whole lot of news there in terms of Position changes with Cunningham going to defense, Cox going to offense, them adding an offensive lineman from the portal, and Sam Williams changing his number. And Ladarius Cox is already listed on the team website as an offensive lineman. Is he really? Yeah, that switch happened very quickly. And the thing about somebody asked me earlier, you know, why this guy from South Carolina doesn't appear to be that good? You know, why would they add him? Well, first of all, uh, if you're adding players in the portal. By now, I mean, it's not like there's a plethora of great offensive linemen like in the portal just waiting for a home, and there's so many there. Especially this this close to the season. Right. It's it's a depth piece is what it is. It's somebody that has played in the SEC that can be somebody that if you need to depend on, you can. No, I, I don't foresee this being a— a situation where he comes in and starts. In fact, if that happens, a lot of people get hurt between now and 14 days from now. But this is a situation where Lane Kiffin has said in many press conferences now, he likes the starters, they need depth. And if you can add at this point somebody who has played in 20 games as an SEC player to add depth to your offensive line, why not do it? Honestly, why why would you not add a piece like that, even though you know he's not a 20-game starter or anything like that? He's a guy that's played in the SEC. He knows how it works. He's played in some games, 20 of them, and he could be a serviceable backup if needed. I think this makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, and, and like I mentioned, this close to the season, maybe it is a little weird and, and a little odd that you would add somebody, but if this guy has to come in and play, Quick, he might even have to play the first game. You don't know when injuries yeah. happen or why. But this is a guy that at least knows the speed of the game in the SEC. This isn't adding another Juco transfer or another kid from Canada that has to really be helped along transitioning into the SEC. This is someone with real game experience. So I think that speaks to why you seek out a depth piece like this. Yeah, for sure. And um, it. Well, on the Darius Cox piece, just big-bodied guy just could not, uh, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work, and this appears to be the case. Uh, you know, maybe this is kind of a last-ditch effort to try to get him on the field at some point. He's just a huge, huge kid. I mean, just so big, and, and when you see him, he's so physically imposing, and just 
the uh, the production hasn't matched uh, what you see when he gets off the bus anyway. So we'll see if a position change affects him at all. And like we talked about when Cunningham moved over, they feel good about the offensive line. At least the the few guys, you know, the five starters and a handful of depth pieces after, they feel good uh, about what they have and the potential of how good that group can be. Uh, I mean, and how could you not with all the experience they have returning, at least at the starting five. So um, there's just a little house cleaning news there. And we'll get into the topic of the day while you clicked on the podcast here in one second. I do want to remind you that the podcast is brought to you by Advantage Business Systems, ABS. MS.com is the website. It's an office technology solution company that services the entire state of Mississippi. So wherever you are, if you're in Mississippi, they can service you. And they do things like copiers and printers and mail machines to phone systems, shipping, cloud storage, data security, stuff like that. Office technology is what they are. And if you're a business in Mississippi, a business owner, and you want to find out more about what they can offer you and pricing and stuff like that, visit the website, absms.com. Tell them we sent you, and they'll give you a, a complimentary office technology assessment. So they'll tell you uh, you know, what they can offer you. They can give you pricing, stuff like that, and it won't cost you anything to do. So why not? And then tell them, of course, that we sent you. Also, LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue in Oxford. It's the best place in Mississippi to get your meat. Looking at the weather right now, grilling weather. My gosh, apparently Oxford is immune to the heat wave that is here. You've got lower 90s, upper 80s all week long. And then next week, lower 80s, 84 late in the 10-day forecast. That's grilling weather. It's perfect grilling weather. Get that started at LB's. And also, they have daily lunch specials Monday through Friday. And tell them that we sent you. All right, the topic of the day. I texted Stephen a little while ago and said, be thinking about something that would surprise you for the offense, the defense, and the team as a whole. So not just like, oh, I would be surprised if they beat Alabama or if they lose to Tulane, but something about the offense, the defense, and the team as a whole that would surprise you. So let's start with the defense. What about the defense would surprise you this season? My big picture thing for the defense is I would be surprised if They are as bad as they were a year ago. I don't think that is statistically or humanly possible (laughs) that they can be that bad again, especially with some of the new pieces that they've added, whether it's guys on the defensive line, linebacker, freshmen in the secondary who I think will contribute later on in the season. And that's actually another bullet point that I had that I would be surprised if two freshmen aren't starting anywhere in the defensive backfield by the end of the season. So the overarching one, though, I'd be surprised if they were as bad as they were a year ago. That's fair. It's something that I was thinking as well, actually. Um, I, I, too, would be surprised if they're not better. There were some things last year that they did that wasn't just talent-based, like the LSU game. I mean, constantly, constantly, constantly leaving Boutte open. I mean, Enough he was to uncovered. set an SEC record. Oh my gosh! I mean, that 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 was not talent related. There were things that they did poorly that that they can improve on. So even just from a nuts and bolts perspective, assignments lining up correctly, things like that, with a regular off season. And the thing about this coaching staff, it, you know, it, it's not like these are a bunch of guys that haven't proven anything anywhere else. Their coaching staff is filled with people who have done it. 
and have done it well at other places. You look at the roster of coaches they have and where they came from and what they were doing where they were and tell me that they don't know what they're doing and tell me they're not capable of coaching improvement into that defense, even if the talent hasn't changed at all. I expect... Which it has. It has. Absolutely it has. I expect it to look better. Look better. Lining up correctly, filling gaps better, knowing assignments better. It's year two in the system. It has to look better or else there's going to be problems. And I mean, Lane Kiffin has already showed you guys that he's not afraid to make changes quickly and abruptly regardless of timing. I mean, there's a reason that there was an offensive line coach change in April because he saw a problem and that's it. If there's an issue, he doesn't have the patience. He doesn't have loyalty, really, because you're only loyal to wins in this business. So if you see a problem, ax it. Uh, so this is a big year for uh, for that defense, obviously. And yeah, I would be surprised if it doesn't look better. Uh, I'll be a little bit more specific, and you mentioned it already. I would be surprised if they're not pretty salty in the secondary. I think th- that has a that group has a chance to be the su- one of the surprises in the SEC as a whole. I'm not saying they're going to be dominant and they're going to have lockdown corners that live on islands and they're never going to give up a touchdown pass or anything like that. But when you look at the talent in that group and you finally get Otis Reese for more than three games because the NCAA can't keep their heads in their own you-know-what this year, the eligibility thing is solved now. But the talent turnover in the secondary and the depth of talent turnover in the secondary is pretty remarkable when it's been done in just a year. So... Just same lines, more specifically, I would be surprised if that secondary is not pretty damn good to the point where people are like, where did this come from? That's that's my choice. Yeah, and a guy like Otis Reese being on your team on the field for an entire year is going to do wonders. Not just from a talent perspective, but when you talk about guys being in the right place and playing well as a unit, that comes from having a defensive leader on the field at all times. And I think Otis Reese is going to be that guy. It's no surprise that they did get better when he was on the field. Yep. Yeah, he, the only games where the Ole Miss defense looked competent last year was when he was on the field. I mean, even the Egg Bowl. It, you know, I, I've heard some Mississippi State fans say, well, you know, the state offense clicked. I mean, you saw what they did in Athens and in Oxford and all that stuff. Yeah, a lot of those yards came in garbage time, and it was the second-worst defense in SEC football history. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. But uh, even in that game, they looked different, despite the 400-something passing yards Will Rogers had. Again, a lot of those came really late. Uh, What was it, 55 of those (laughs) yards came on one pass late in the ballgame as the clock was expiring. So That had a whole lot of Ole Miss fans feeling pretty nervous, too. Yeah, they did. I remember that moment, but uh, obviously they they sealed the win. He's an impact player. He was last year. We just didn't get to see it enough, but anyway. I think a guy like Dean Leonard, too, is going to really come into his own. Mm -hmm. He made a few plays throughout the season last year, but never enough to be that kind of consistent guy you could rely on in the defensive backfield. Yeah, but I the, think I think he'll be really good this year. The adjustment from Canadian football to the SEC, probably not an easy one. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think so. Especially considering what he had to do last year to get ready for the season. Yeah. Uh, Jake Springer's a guy that people are really high on. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of names now. 
on uh, on that side of the ball. So turning the page, offense. What about the Ole Miss offense would surprise you? The first year? one that came to my mind here was I would be surprised if Matt Corral has one game this season with three or more turnovers. I don't think that that will happen. I think that has literally been the message that he and the coaching staff has harped on all offseason long of cutting down those turnovers. I think if he makes a mistake, even early in a game, I think his mindset now will have developed to the point where he knows how to eliminate those turnovers and not kind of have those compound into one of the worst days in college football. Mine is... I would be surprised if the Ole Miss offense is not basically the same in terms of run-pass distribution last year. I've heard so many people say, national people think they're just going to throw the ball around because they have Matt Corral, and local people think they're just going to run the ball everywhere because they have what's returning. I mean, we talk about it here all the time. They led the SEC in rushing last year, and Matt Corral was third in the country in passing efficiency. And the two guys ahead of him just got drafted. I I don't think as far as balance, anything's really going to change. Because how much more balanced can a a team be than they were a year ago? They were the best rushing team in in the SEC. And Matt Corral threw for a bunch of freaking yards last year against the best teams on their schedule. I just don't buy that, oh, they're going to run a lot more now. Or, well, they've got this Heisman candidate. They're just going to throw it all over the yard. People that think that Ole Miss last year just threw it all over the yard didn't watch or or has just refused to look at box scores. They are an incredibly balanced football team, and I think they're going to continue to be an incredibly balanced football team. So it's mostly just a counter to those that say, yeah, they're going to run it a lot more. No, probably not because they ran it a hell of a lot last year. Oh, Matt Corral is going to throw for 500 yards a game. No, because they have a great running game that they're going to use as well. I think the – as far as run-pass balance, they're going to be basically the same as a year ago. It'll look different, but it'll it'll be the same. If it would skew one way a little bit, I would say it would be more towards rushing. Sure. But, sure. I don't. yeah, it's not going to be this monumental 70-30 split that some people may believe. And But again, to the... Another point. I hear that, it in the afternoon. I'm telling you, maybe it's maybe it's a very small amount of people that think that is the case. But yeah, the other thing that I had was I'd be surprised if they weren't right back in the top three in the SEC of rushing. They may not lead oh, yeah. the SEC like they did a year ago, but I think they'll be right back in that top three. If it wasn't for the air raid, I mean, honestly, would you be surprised if Ole Miss led the SEC in rushing and was top three in passing? <laughs> no, honestly, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't bat an eye at that if if we got to the end of the season. They had that. They have, again, a quarterback that's a Heisman candidate. You have your entire backfield from last season returning. Four offensive line starters and a transfer with, what is it, 26, 26 starts. Yeah, 26 starts in the Pac-12. So I have no reason to believe that either unit is going to take this drastic step back no. all of a sudden. Yeah, I think Mississippi State will lead by default, although they didn't last year. I mean, that's the thing. I keep hearing that as well, that, oh, you know, State's going to lead. They're going to have a 5,000-yard passer and stuff, and it's like, hold, hold on now. Let's get to 3,500 before you start giving 5,000 out. But I think they have a roster this year that is more well-equipped to finally run Leach's offense. It should least. be. Right. They've got some transfer receivers, some that he worked with at Washington State. 
that know the system a little bit coming in. So I think they – I also wouldn't be surprised if Mississippi State does lead the SEC in passing. I wouldn't either. They'll, I mean, they'll just throw 60 times a game plus, you know. Never know. This could be the year Mike Leach breaks down and starts running, running the football. Who it knows? does crack me up. People keep talking about, oh, is he, he's going to run the ball more. He's going to run the ball. No, he's not. It's not like he ignored the run at Washington State either. I mean, he had a 1,000-yard rusher at one point. They're going to run the football. But if you think it's going to be 35 carries a game, I'm sorry, man. It's it's not going to happen like that. Never. Oh, they're going to start checking out of passes into runs. Uh, maybe, but not to your satisfaction. Like nope. Some people that cover the team that are fans of that team need to you know, really rethink adjust the way they think football is supposed to be played. Because Mike Leach isn't changing. There's no way. Anyway, all right. uh, Went off in the weeds there. What would surprise you about the team as a whole? One more quick thing on the offense. Bring it. If Jerrion Ely doesn't have at least 50 catches. That's kind of a benchmark that I think he'll hit. So what is that, three and a half per game? Yeah, he had 15 a season ago. Obviously a shortened season. He got hurt. So I'm not really basing. And that Elijah Moore, they didn't really need to use him there. We've heard about how many different ways he's going to be involved in this offense. Not specifics, of course, but we'll see that kind of develop. You'll find out very quickly in the Louisville game how many different ways he'll be used. So I think 50 catches for the season for Jerry on Ely. That's something I'll be surprised if that doesn't happen. Yeah, I accidentally deleted my calculator app, by the way. Wow, so, after we just talked about this on Friday. I know, and I don't know how to get it back. I thought that was one that couldn't be deleted. It's gone. I don't know where it is. It's gone. I don't know what I did to it. <laughs> I mean, my son plays with my phone a lot, mm. and you know he doesn't know what to do on it. He just likes to just slide stuff around. I can't find it. Okay, so, so what is 50 divided by 12? That is 4.16. Wow, big math guy over here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, four catches per game, I'd buy that. If you were selling that to me, I'd buy it yep. for sure. Uh, so team as a whole. Team as a whole. I would be surprised if they don't end the season inside the top 25. Hmm. And I'd be surprised if they don't win at least eight games. Those are my my main two. And then to get to those eight wins, I'd be surprised if they lose to both Auburn and LSU. I think you get one of those and not both. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Uh, mine is more simple than that. It's I, I would be surprised if they are not in every game they play. So, you know, there are people that think that Ole Miss can go to Tuscaloosa and win, and I I am one of those people. I think it's a tall task, but at worst, I think they're going to be competitive. Uh, And the the same thing applied a year ago, so it's not really going out on a limb to suggest that Ole Miss is going to be in every game they play, although Florida, the the score makes that game a little bit closer than it actually was uh, when you actually watch it. Florida just ran away from Ole Miss that day. And almost what two late touchdowns, one of which was very close to the end of the game. Either way, I would be I would be shocked, truly shocked, if they are not in every single game they play. That includes in Tuscaloosa. That includes what will be a top five Texas A and M team, give or take, when they come to Oxford. I think every single week this season they will be in the game, and of course, win more than they lose. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say they're winning nine or ten games yet. I've got to see the defense first. However, I think this year will be eerily similar to last year in that every time they take the field, every time, every game that they play, they will have a chance to win in the fourth quarter. Every single one. I will be shocked if they are getting blown out by anybody at all. 
shocked. Yeah. I don't think that that's unfair at all. And I, I almost, looking at the schedule and the timing of some of these games, I wonder if that Texas A&M game may almost be even more of a challenge than the Alabama game if Texas A&M is as good as everyone thinks they can be. If they get mm-hmm. this quarterback position settled I by that point in the season when they're fighting for a playoff spot, that's going to be a really tough game. Oh, yeah. And it's right after Liberty, right? Yes. Here's the thing about that Liberty game. I mean, you know, not going to dive into the Hugh Freeze stuff today. Uh, that week's going to be hell uh, <laughs> because there are there's a fragment of Ole Miss fans. I, I did a uh, a guest appearance on a podcast a couple few months ago, and the the host did not believe that there are Ole Miss fans that like want Hugh Freeze back and are going to cheer as Liberty takes the field and stuff. And I said, man, I hear from them every day. They are there. I don't know how many there are, but there are Ole Miss fans that will clap when Liberty takes the field. And if, God forbid, and they shouldn't do this, but knowing some of the things that the marketing people at Ole Miss have done in the past, if they put Hugh Freeze up on the video board or do some kind of tribute to him, people will cheer. That would would be be the dumbest thing ever. People will cheer. That will be an emotionally charged week. You know who's not going to give a shit? Forgive my language. Lane Kiffin or the players. That will not be some kind of high-emotion football game. I, pr- I promise. It, there are fans that think that will be. Oh, there's a lot of emotions in the stadium that day. Maybe with fans, team's not going to care. Lane's not going to. Do you think Lane Kiffin gives a crap? I, I mean, the only motivation that Lane might have is to beat the ever-living, you know what, out of freeze. But there's not going to be extra motivation for the players. I mean, how many of them were coached by Hugh Freeze? Not many. Sonogo was a Jones, maybe. So uh, none of them were coached by him, and if they were, it was for a very short time. The emotions in the stadium won't match the emotions on the field, if there are any, uh, for whatever that's worth. So that, like, I, I, we had somebody text in about the Texas A&M game in particular. We were talking about it, and he said, I'm just worried that emotions are going to be so high the week before they won't be ready. And it's like, man, Texas A&M is an SEC West team that will be ranked somewhere in the top ten conservatively. You think the emotions are going to be high for Liberty but not for Texas A&M? No shot that goes down like that. The players aren't going to care. They're just going to go win the game like they're supposed to and move on. That's what they're going to do. I would think the players may care even more from an emotional standpoint about that Texas A&M game, a game that they should have been able to play last year if it wasn't for Texas A&M, like you've mentioned before, purposefully not playing it because one very important player yeah, had COVID. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. That's, also, that's w- some of the word on the street, <laughs> you know. One quick thing on, on my point a second ago. What I said about the Texas A&M game, that's not meant to say that Alabama is not going to be a difficult game, or that I think Ole Miss is going to win that game. Both things are not true of course, there. Yeah. <laughs> just oh, wanted to clarify that, just in case. Oh, yeah, I don't think anybody took it that way. But, yeah, I think that they'll be in every game, that every single game they play, including Texas A&M and Alabama. Um, offensively, they should be there. And if they're improved at all defensively, they will be there. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind uh, about that. Was there anything else from the weekend that we may have missed? I know they had a scrimmage. Uh, I don't think anybody could watch it, so we don't know. And Kiffin had a media session after, and he wasn't really asked much and didn't really say much. The defense supposedly looked better. Uh, They said that they limited explosive plays, which were left 
to their description of it. So well, that and also, does that mean the offense couldn't get any explosive <laughs> yeah. plays? So you know, that's a covering training camp and doing all that and trying to read between the lines of all this is so difficult because I I do think it is a better sign that the defense performed well because one bad scrimmage, I don't instantly go to that place of, oh, no, the offense is bad. But with how bad the product was the last time we saw it for an entire season, if you do hear, oh, the defense gave up a lot of explosive plays, it's like, oh, shit, here we go again. They're going to be just as bad. (laughs) So I guess that's a good thing that (laughs) there are these not having bad things to say about the defense after that scrimmage. That's true. Yeah, that's it. Um, other than that, though, he didn't really say anything remarkable. Uh, there's been reports that there's been a couple of really significant injuries, uh, but Lane Kiffin insists that there isn't, as far as playing time goes, there isn't anybody that's you know had a significant injury. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to believe. I, I mean, who knows? So take him at his word. It's another thing the NFL does yeah. much better. And... I've heard some people say it's not a good thing because you're basically just giving guys target practice to say, hey, this guy's ankle's injured. So, you know, you're giving them an area of weakness to focus on. But I at least like to know that injury report in detail. Yeah, I'm, the, the way the NFL does media and all that is just so much better than that of college. But, you know, at the That's end of their the day, we would, right, and, you know, we wouldn't be there anyway. So what's what's the difference to <laughs> good us? Point. But. So there was a scrimmage. We didn't get to watch it. Kiffin swears that there's no uh, play in terms of impact players or playing time. There's no significant injuries, and that's really all you can hope for out of camp. Uh, And for what it's worth, we're going to play that audio for you. So Lane Kiffin, uh, we'll close the podcast again today. Uh, It's you know just under four minutes, so not a long listen. Because like having a guest on, we're saying we we got Lane Kiffin on. (laughs) We're interviewing him at this point. Nothing really left for him to be asked in, until they get into Louisville game prep. I mean, that's really a, that's all. That's all is Louisville, which he did say would probably be more so next week. I don't think they're starting with install yet. Yeah, and that makes sense. And they, they've done so much studying and stuff already. I mean, it's not like I, I had somebody ask me recently, like, when did they start uh, studying Kentucky or Louisville film? I said. Six months ago? <laughs> I mean, they, they are well aware of what Louisville does already. They're not just going to turn on the film and decide their game plan now. But, uh, yeah, they'll do install with players and stuff and implementation at the end of this week into next week, I guess, was the, the timeline. So, anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in. As you always do, don't forget to subscribe, and we'll talk to you again on Wednesday with your Atlanta Rex by then. Maybe either then or Friday. Yes. All right. Y'all have a good week. Um, good that the weather held up, that we could stay outside. Didn't look like we were going to be able to, but, you know, a lot better work out there than being indoors, so that was good. Uh, I thought our defense responded really well and <clears throat> played really well. We did do ones versus ones, twos versus twos, um, tackling for the first half, and much better job limiting explosive plays, uh, not not as many missed tackles, so um, that was good. And I think overall it was a pretty good defensive day, and uh, that was good to see. Lane, I, I know what your policy is on injuries. Uh, noticed the last couple of practices, a couple of guys not on the field. Uh, on your significant injury update, do things still stay the same at this point? Uh, yes.
um, I don't think we've had any major injuries of <clears throat> um, guys that significant playing importance. When you say the defensive, the defense kind of responded today. What what were they doing differently that maybe you didn't see last week? Uh, not giving up explosive plays, covering well, played a lot, a lot of deeper zone, then rushed well on third down, uh, especially Sam. So it was great to see. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to ask who who were kind of your your standouts today. Well, mostly defensively. Um, no, we didn't play in, in the second half, um, three of the receivers. So, but, I mean, I thought the D-line played really well. Like I mentioned, Sam, um, you know, linebackers played more physical and fit runs and didn't give up plays, a lot of three and out. So, not a lot of turnovers, but a lot of, a lot of punts. Lane, you're at the almost at the two-week mark of fall camp. And uh, can you kind of just give us an overview of what next week is going to look like in terms of practice as preparation gets in gear for a little bit? Yeah, they'll have tomorrow off and they'll come back and, you know, we'll still be in training camp mode, but part of that practice will be those practices uh, will be geared towards the opener um, as we get later in the week some more. And then a mock game <clears throat> Um, at the end of next weekend. So trying to, I think it's Sunday, not Monday because of school. So just trying to simulate the game as much as we can with game times. Lenny, you guys getting any closer to figuring out uh, what you want to do with the kicking game and the return game? Has anyone kind of stood out in any of those places? Um, No. You know, competitive battles in all of them. And we'll just keep plugging along. I know it's uh, uh, Kincaid and Luke kind of been battling it out. How, How did they look today? Who's that? Kincaid and, and oh, Goldmeyer. Kincaid. Sorry, um, Luke was limited, didn't do very much. Kincaid threw a couple of touchdowns, um, and did some good things. Lena, <clears throat> I believe we're about to talk to Caleb Warren. You know, this is a guy that started eight games for you last year at guard. In the spring, you had to turn to him to take snaps at center. If you would just talk about his versatility and maybe how that kind of helps depth situation on the offensive line. Yeah, Caleb's been very valuable, did a great job when he was healthy last year. Um, you know, and then we played him at center and, you know, potentially could have to play there at some point in the season. So he's, he's been very good and, um, you know, played really well. Very just kind of quiet player that, you know, plays well and you don't hear his name very much. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.